so I'm not wearing a mask outside on the street. And uh, it's kind of, at least half the people are out wearing masks, maybe a little more. And then there's definitely people who are just walking around outside without masks. But I'd say it might be 60-40, maybe 70-30 on the mask side. And I'm not wearing a mask outside. It's like, it's not crowded. It's, it's absurd. You know, if I go into a store, sure. I don't even have a mask. I just wear put a little scarf over my face. But if I go into the store, sure, it makes other people more comfortable. And then some of the little uh, markets, you know, they, they, they want you to wear the mask. It's their policy, which is annoying, but whatever. But that's fine. I get it. I'll wear it. Um, not outside though. You're just walking along the sidewalk outside with a mask and you're not at, you know, more risk. Like, what are you doing? And then you're going to look sideways at me and I can tell, I can tell by your eyes above your dumb Hello Kitty mask, what you're thinking. And you're thinking this motherfucker not wearing a mask. I'm not wearing the mask and I don't know why you're wearing the mask because clearly you're holding the McDonald's bag. You just left your house, risked your life to go get McDonald's and you're going to go home. And I bet you're telling yourself that you're doing a good deed by supporting the economy (laughs) because you got a filet of fish sandwich. I don't know why First of all, I don't know why I need to not work so that we can reduce the risk of you getting a virus while you give yourself diabetes. Is this why I'm not making a lot of money this month and probably this next month to come and maybe even the month after that for you? So you don't get sick and die? Yeah. All right. I'm forced to not work. That's fine. It is what it is. I'm not also going to wear the mask when I'm just walking down the street. This isn't New York. If it was like a crowded elbow to elbow, sure, maybe. This is D.C. This town is sleepy, can be described as sleepy on the busiest days. (laughs) It's extra sleepy now. Really, the only people who are outside are the crazies. And somehow all the crazies have masks. I don't know where everyone... I thought we couldn't get masks. Like, there were none. Somehow, these schizophrenic motherfuckers talk to themselves and Adams Morgan have, like, legit surgical masks. A couple have, like, N95 masks. Where are you getting these? Are they available again? <laughs> I I'm putting a, I'm putting a scarf around my face. <laughs> Did the city give them out? Did like paramedics and cops and firemen just roll around to all the semi-homeless and fully homeless crazies and just give everybody one mask, which is now dirty because <laughs> you've been wearing it for two weeks while you rant to yourself about aliens? And then uh, 
other people with homes, <laughs> clearly with homes, what, you're leaving your house, you put on a mask to stand outside in line at Starbucks and, and you're going to look at me weird because I went out to get some groceries. Like I'm getting out to get food that I need, you know, to, to live and be healthy. I'm not going just fucking Starbucks, <laughs> not going to McDonald's. Like get the fuck out of here. And that's fine. You can do whatever you want. Don't look at me weird. Cause I'm not wearing a mask. Get the fuck out of here. Well, you pat yourself on the back for supporting the poor people at Starbucks who make minimum wage who probably don't even want to be at work that day. Who are probably like, hey, I'm just gonna uh I'm just gonna file for unemployment. I wish Starbucks would fire me so I could file for file for unemployment. Uh that was my morning. <laughs> That was my morning. More and more people wearing masks. And then surprisingly, a lot of people not. I'm not the only one. The um, Continuing with my paycheck protection program drama, I uh, Sunday, I got an email from Square, the, uh, the internet, small business, uh, what would you call Square? It's a tech finance company, you know. You, you know, everybody's been to a little shop where instead of a classic register, you know, you just pay through Square. You just swipe your credit card with the little iPad thing. Um, and I've used Square a few times to take payment for my business, but normally I don't use it. Um, but I have used it a few times, so I am in their database. I guess as like a, a customer or a you know a, a uh, allied business or whatever they call it. And so they sent me an email saying that they are now taking applications as l- the lender for the Paycheck Protection Program. I'm like, okay, cool. I thought I was shit out of luck, but I guess since Congress approved some more funding, because uh, they fucked up the last round of funding. Now Square, and they approved some smaller tech company or uh, tech finance companies like I guess Square, PayPal, maybe Venmo. Who knows? Um, they were approved as lenders for the small business administ- small business administration. So I'm like, all right, sure. If you know, I'm not going to turn down free money. So let me fill out this application, and I did. You know, took took about an hour, but that's just because I had to find, you know, I had to actually file my taxes. I still haven't filed my taxes because, uh, I was holding off since they pushed back the deadline. I'm like, I, I always owe taxes because I am self-employed. So I have to pay estimated taxes. Like I don't get a refund. Like I'm always going to owe taxes at the end of the year, especially because the last few years I've been making a little bit more money each year, which is nice. But then I owe a little bit more taxes each year. And this year I made, I made a decent amount of money last year. So I was going to owe the fed and DC uh, collectively. I was going to owe about six grand in taxes, which is, you know, 
I don't want to give up six grand. I have it. I just would like to keep it. So I was holding off filing taxes. I was going to see, you know, dig through, see if I could find a few more uh, deductions, maybe lower that amount a little bit. But I needed to have my Schedule C for my uh, my 1040. And then, so I just had to go ahead and file the taxes with TurboTax so I could get that Schedule C so I could upload it to apply for this loan. So I was like, well... I probably won't find any more deductions anyway, so I might as well just file. It's fine. I don't actually have to pay the money until July 15th because I want to, you know, if I'm still not really working in July, I may want that six grand. I may need that six grand, so I don't want to just give it away to the IRS yet until I really have to. So I went in and filed the taxes just so I could apply for the loan, and I think I can get, if I get any money, which I am not hopeful that I'm going to get anything. But if I do, I'll get about 15 grand, which would be nice. That should, you know, that'll float me. I could make that work for maybe five months. If I really pinch my pennies, definitely three or four months. That's, you know, that could carry me through. And then I don't have to dip into my savings too much. So I fill out the application, do the paperwork. It's pretty simple. And then I'm like, great. At least I'm probably not going to get anything, but at least I don't have to stress about it. I put the application through, wash my hands. And then three days later, I get an email from Square saying my application was rejected because they couldn't prove I was in business before February 15th of (laughs) this year, 2020. And I'm like, what? And it turned out, I submitted the wrong date range for a bank statement. And then the bank statement I gave them started at like February 16th or 17th. And that's just because when you get a bank statement, it shows you a 30-day bank statement. And then that's just the way the dates fell through. And that's what they asked for. They just wanted a bank statement from somewhere between January 1st and March 15th. And I gave them ending March 15th back, which did not quite make it to February 15th. But then that's why I was rejected. So I'm like, what? Like, and why do you reject the application? Just send me an email and say, hey, could you give us another, a different thing? But now my application is totally rejected and I resubmitted. But, you know, they're going to have tens of thousands at least of these applications. And I got bumped back to the end of the line because I had to read because it's really kind of like a first come first serve so yeah paycheck protection program drama (laughs) that's and it's sort of like I'm not expecting money it's not like you're the government you have to give me money although actually I did hear a pretty decent argument and maybe I only agree with the argument because it affects me And I benefit, which is why really we all agree with arguments. (laughs) But, you know, the government ordered a shutdown. So it's the government's responsibility to to float us through. And I go, yeah, that kind of makes sense because we don't have to shut down. We can just say, look, people are going to die. But, you know, we're not we're not slowing this economy more than than necessary. Like 
definitely the economy is going to take a dip a little bit, you know, just because, you know, the public loses confidence or people stay home more or whatever. People don't take trips. People don't take vacations. But this is everything is just shut down, shut down, like ordered shut down. So I can see how it is kind of like the government wants us to shut down. The government's, you know, got to compensate us a little bit. I can see that argument. Also, you know, I benefit. But yeah, I really, I, I am not hopeful that I will receive anybody. I did get $1,000 from the uh, the grants when I was kind of told I was going to get 10000 I got 1000 And then uh, the city of D.C., it's another one I applied for, for a small business micro grant, which I don't really... I didn't know what a microgram was. I'm like, I have no idea how much money that means. And uh, they just sent me an award. And in order to claim my micro, my grant award, I need to submit all kinds of paperwork and business licenses and all kinds of shit I don't have. I'm like, I'm just a 1099. Look, I don't have a business license. I'm just kind of a hired gun for other people's businesses. So then there's other things I can submit instead of that, like a certificate of good faith or certificate of clean hands. I'm like, what is this? I don't know what any of this is. I got to submit that. And then I think, I think it said every, I have to submit receipts. Basically I have to submit my books every month until September or October. And all this is just to get a thousand dollars. And I'm kind of like, I don't, a thousand dollars is barely anything. Like, I don't know that that's really going to help. Why am I going to jump through hoops to get this thousand dollars? But also I'm very lazy lately, so it's probably not that much work, <laughs> but I'm very used to doing nothing. <laughs> so even just doing 45 minutes to an hour of, you know, computer paperwork is just it's too much to ask i'm not going to do that shit so we'll see maybe i'll want the that i'll probably guilt myself into it i'm like you don't know how long is this going to go on i may really need that thousand dollars i'll regret not doing it but yeah just give me the money do you want do you want us to get money and spend it you know and keep this recession from becoming a depression that just give me the goddamn money enough with your fucking paperwork enough with your accountability why am i accountable for a thousand dollars and <laughs> fucking <laughs> wells fargo is accountable for nothing is is gets billions of dollars in bailout and has to account for none of it <laughs> the fuck out of here and they're like we need to know what you're going to spend that thousand dollars on rent bitch what the fuck you think i'm going to spend it on where where do you think a thousand dollars is going to go what am i going to am i going to give myself a bonus as the ceo of my own company you get a bonus of a thousand it's going to rent motherfucker it's going to pay my electric bill that's where it's going to where the fuck do you think the thousand dollars is going yeah debacles debacles I think the girlfriend's gonna move in officially 
she's pretty much moved in. She's been living here, you know, for five or six weeks. And uh, initially we were going to, we were going to move in together, but in a bigger place. Because I've got kind of a small one bedroom that's perfect for me. Um, But with her here, it's pretty tight. (laughs) And so, of course, she floated the idea. She wanted to live together, which is always the way. I I don't know of any dude who was like, I really want to live with my girlfriend. It's always like, eh, I guess. The girl asks or demands, and then the guy has a choice. You can either move in together or you can break up. There's no continuing things the way they are. Um, And I like her. So I'm like, okay. I lived with somebody once for about six months, and it was pretty awful. But I also didn't like her that much. So I like this one. And, uh, but exactly what I did not want to happen is her just move in with me in my tiny ass apartment. And then we're stuck here together with no real outlet. (laughs) Like, and before this is probably back in February, or so when she floated the idea and you know, that's, that's when comedy was still happening. So I'm like, you know what? I bet if I did live with her, I'd be motivated to do more sets. Cause I was probably doing maybe four to six sets a week. And then, uh, you know, I would do a set and come home. I never really did the go from one show to another show to another show. Cause I, I'm tired. I mean, I'm, 40. I got to get up in the morning. I'm not going to be out, you know, till midnight trying to do a bunch of shitty bar shows. Um, which is kind of the standard if you're trying to do stand up. That's what most people. I guess that's kind of the New York standard. And that trickles down that attitude trickles down to DC. And it makes sense in New York like if you're a professional comedian and that's your job and you don't really have a day job yeah it behooves you and you have the opportunity to do I guess 10 shows a night I've heard some comedians say they do 15 shows a night I go I don't know how that's logistically possible I don't know how you get from one place to another place to another place like how do you I don't know how you have that much time at a night um but you know probably is in DC that attitude but we don't have the same amount of venues like it took it took maybe three years for me to do just five shows a week just to get that much stage time. Um, and then other people I can see, they might do two or three on some nights, but a lot of nights two or three don't exist. Like you might get one or two shows a night on a Tuesday. I don't, I don't you're not going to get five. And the density, D.C., you know, D.C., Northern Virginia, Northern Virginia, Maryland, like we don't have that density in New York where you got places right next to each other where you can just dip in and do a set. Like you got to drive a lot, you know. So I guess maybe you could do five on a Thursday or a Friday night around the D.C. area, but it's going to take you five, six hours of driving just to go to all these venues. And these venues are not great. These are not like clubs these are bars these are just bar shows so 
Um, but that's a big thing in the culture, in the comedy culture, is to do as many sets as possible, which I really, I get it. You know, you do definitely need some repetition. You want to see different audiences. Also, I mean, I've seen a lot of the comedians who do that, and their sets are usually pretty lackluster. And I go, well, you're not even getting the most you can get out of one set. What do you think half-assing three sets in a night is going to do for you? But I don't know. Maybe they're right. But I was interested in doing a little more, at least a few nights a week, try to maybe get on two or three shows in a night. And if my girlfriend lived with me and was home and I didn't feel like seeing her, (laughs) basically my living situation was too comfortable. It was too easy for me to say, I did it. I had a pretty good set. I'm going to go home, maybe uh, watch a little Netflix and go to bed and then, you know, not be super tired in the morning. But I thought if I lived with girlfriends, I might be motivated to stay out a little more because if she's always here, it's less comfortable. And I'll be like, I might as well stay out and do another set or two. It's probably not the best reason to move in with somebody, but that was the perk. Plus, we could combine our rents together and get a bigger, nicer place. Um, So when I did stay home, it'd be a little more, have a little more luxury, I guess. What I did not want to happen is exactly what's probably going to happen now, (laughs) is that she just moves in with me into my tiny place, and now there's no comedy happening, so it's not like I can leave at night and get away from her and go do a bunch of shows. It's like, no, we're going to be on the couch together all day, all night. Uh, Yeah. Life. Life. (laughs) Life doesn't give a shit what you think your plans are. And I would be more... This probably, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I probably would have been a little angry and a little bitter about it. But really, after having gone through that 2008 financial crisis and having a hard time during that, and I've, you know, I'm having an okay time now. It's not, I'm not hurting that bad yet. But also, I, I know that, like, whatever you think your plans are, they're subject to change (laughs) whether it was part of your plan or not like corona does not give a shit about your dumb comedy aspirations (laughs) it doesn't give a fuck so we'll see i'm gonna have to uh it will require a mental shift on my part and maybe I'll have to seek out more opportunities to leave the house. Because I, I need a couple hours, at least to myself, a day. Um, preferably I need a couple days to myself, which is what I used to get. But I at least, I've noticed, like, especially the last week or two, it's like, I, I got to go. I got to go. And I'm lucky enough that I have access to like a small gym. So I can go work out every day in an actual gym with real weights. And I... I find sometimes I'll spend six hours in that place because it's just me. I have the key. I'll just go in and then I'll work out and then I'll just kind of fuck around in there and just enjoy just being alone (laughs) because she's going to be here all day. Um, Yeah, so that's probably 
you know, shit's not too bad. It could definitely be worse. Um, but it's going to require a mental shift on my part to, uh, not go crazy when I know like, Oh, now she lives here. And you know, it's, I guess it's the responsible thing to do financially. Uh, I can save a thousand bucks a month if we're uh, splitting my rent. So I guess I should probably start doing that sooner than later. So love. <laughs> it's love. Yeah. And, and necessity. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I love how there's like, yeah, you just do what you got at times are different. Do what you got to do. When times are good, you can worry about shit like gender identity and the Me Too movement and marrying the person of your dreams or whatever it is. You know, all this all this stuff I don't hear about now because the world has bigger fish to fry than people's like personal problems or personal issues. Like nobody gives a shit anymore. I, I haven't heard, maybe it's still happening. I'm also not online as much. I was never big for social media, but now it's like, I have no reason to, nobody's doing anything. Why should I feel obligated to check in on what people are doing? Also, I have, I have like a comedy gig scheduled, just like a little five minute guest spot. Um, it's scheduled for June. I'm sure it's not actually going to happen, but the guy asked me and I'm like, I haven't done a show for him yet. I'm like, yeah, sure. I've been trying to get on your shows. So yeah, I mean, if the shows are happening, I'll do it. I'll do my dumb five minutes of jokes, but now it's pretty clear. There's no live comedy happening in June. So he's switching to on an online format, which just sounds, I'm like, dude, like just quit. Just shut up shop. <laughs> like nobody wants to watch online shit. And he's charging tickets. It's like 10 bucks a ticket to log in. I assume it's through zoom, log into zoom and watch a bunch of amateur and semi-professional comedians tell their jokes to no audience. Like, I don't, I don't understand how that's even going to work. It's got to suck. There's no way it can be good. And I know there definitely there's local, well, there's comedians all over trying to do like online stand up, and I haven't watched any of it because I'm sure it's awful. Um, and I've noticed locally just in the DC area, there are a few legit, like funny people who, had potential before this to actually, you know, maybe make a living at comedy. Um, and I haven't seen any of them do any Zoom shows. <laughs> like, the actual funny people who, you know, were good or promising, uh, they're, not, they're not doing them. <laughs> Only the most unfunny people are putting together these online comedy shows. And I'm kind of like, you couldn't do well 
when an audience was there. What makes you think you're going to make anyone laugh when they're not in the room with you? And it's probably really going to feed their egos because now they don't have to bomb in person. Now when it's not possible to get any laughter, they're just going to assume what they're doing is amazing. There's no there's no economy like like stand-up comedy has a great economy in that you get paid for jokes with laughter if you know i say something funny and you laugh it's a great tit for tat economy and now we're just removing that (laughs) if i tell a joke that's not funny you don't laugh then i'm probably not going to tell that joke again at least not in that form I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to figure out why it wasn't working and either switch it around and make it work or just drop it. Um, but these are also the sorts of comedians who would not drop their not funny material. They just continue with their shitty five-minute set for years and never add a new joke and just kind of bomb every time I guess if they get a couple laughs some people some people in an audience will just laugh because we're kind of programmed to laugh at certain points so I learned this when I was doing theater like you can trick an audience into laughing by just doing some technical uh just some technical inflection with your voice and things like that if you like lift and land uh, do a little pitch, pace, intensity. If you do a rule of three, like we're all kind of programmed just to laugh at these moments. And some people are more programmed than others. And they'll just laugh. Even if they don't really think it's funny, it's just kind of like a conditioned response. It's like kind of Pavlovian. So I guess if you've kind of accidentally hit on some of these technical ways to get people to laugh even though I know they don't really know what they're doing it's not like they did that on purpose these are just the lame jokes that sometimes might get a laugh that survived and then they never change and these are the people doing the zoom comedy so I'm kind of like dreading like I do not I'm not going to do any of my old bits in an online format like I I can't do that it's just dumb and any of my jokes before you know corona and everything shut down like nobody's gonna give a shit about like it that's just all gotta go like all my material is probably just gotta go so but I don't want to cancel I don't want to say hey I'm not doing that so I think and there's got to be a way you see the problem is it's just the the medium of comedy like comedy exists in different media you have sketch shows you have stand-up comedy you have a live improv set you have a a pre a a pre-recorded sketch show type format live stand-up comedy um so the zoom or an online comedy show it's just a slightly different medium. So really it could be possible to be good or funny. You just have to tailor your act or whatever it is you're going to do for that medium. Like you have to take advantage of the strengths and the weaknesses of the specific medium. 
So I'm thinking if I do it, I'm just going to have to create a whole new five minutes. And it's got to be formatted differently than a traditional stand-up. So, you know, there's no setup, punch, pause for laugh. Like, that's got to go. Nobody's laughing. So, yeah, there's no pause. Um, I can just imagine somebody doing their old, their old sets in the same inflection and as if they're telling it in front of a room full of people and it's like, it's just not going to work. Um, there's nothing worse than when I was doing theater and you know, you're telling a joke in a play or, um, you're trying to tell a, you know, a funny story or it's a funny monologue or something like that. And then you pause for a laugh and then, you know, three nights before, the audience laughed where they were supposed to. And then that one night, nothing. It's just crickets. And then you just look stupid for pausing. People are like, why did you pause for three seconds? You're like, oh, you thought people were going to laugh. We didn't laugh. And then you just look dumb. And then the next night, the audience laughs at the joke again. It's who knows. Every audience is a little different. Maybe you just didn't really land it that one night. But I can just imagine that happening in Zoom. It's just a lot of pauses <laughs> and what's funny in a room live is different than what's funny pre-recorded um yeah it's just it everything is slightly different so it's probably possible to do like an uh, a live quote-unquote online comedy show but you have to tailor the material for the medium so I'm thinking I might just try that That'd be a nice little interesting creative product project to do for the rest of May because I've got a month, so I could come up with a five minute. And I guess it kind of have to be a rant or something like that, kind of like a maybe a loosely structured, funny rant. It's got to be about something current events. Um, it, you know, probably a little niche thing, maybe grocery shopping during the pandemic or something like that, and then. Um, just a five minute rant about that. But I, th I think like a, like a very structured joke, joke, joke format, probably not going to work because you need that response. You need the laughter and you got to like ride the wave of laughter and it's got to build. Um, now you, we, you know, there won't be any feedback from the audience. So yeah, it's just got to be different. And the risk is low because if I just did a regular stand-up set, it's guaranteed to, to bomb. It's guaranteed to suck. So I might as well take a little risk and, you know, if it still sucks, fine. That's fine. Um, then I'll just have something amusing to talk about, <laughs> about how much I failed on, at online comedy on a future podcast episode. So I'm trying not to, uh, I'm trying to adjust my expectations and, you know, my, the sort of plans I, tentative plans I had for the future, especially regarding comedy, because who knows when it's coming back. And I was just starting to kind of get into more rooms in the city, um, and then that's all kind of over. You know, I, I kind of feel, I don't feel too bad for anybody, but I kind of feel bad for 
there were a few comedians who last year made the move to LA or New York from DC. They were kind of like big fish in this little pond. And then they were like, okay. And they'd go, they'd usually go to New York and back. Like they kind of still lived in DC, but they might spend a weekend or a week in New York or LA and then fly back. And then finally they just made the jump. All right. Now I live in LA or now I live in New York. And then they seem to come back to DC an awful lot after that though. I'm like, I thought you are gone. Why are you back here? <laughs> um, but I kind of feel bad for them cause they're probably fucked now cause they were not, you know, established at all. They were kind of like promising up and comers and maybe in another five years, you know, they might've like, you know, been a name, maybe, maybe not. But now it's like, I think, you know, it's kind of like the rest of America. It's the people at the top, the top 1% are going to be fine because they're established and they have other sources of income to fall back on. But yeah, the people who were just making, I don't even, I can't even say they were making a living at comedy, but you know, if that was their sole occupation, now they're fucked because most of them don't have other skills either. It's not like most of them were waiters or retail or, you know, some job that also doesn't exist now. Um, so I probably, I do feel a little bad for those guys, you know, cause they're, you know, they're pursuing their dream and they were really pursuing it. They weren't, you know, just wishing that they were a comedian. They were actively making it happen and hustling and, you know, through no fault of their own, it's just shut the fuck down. So I've been thinking about like, what's next for me creatively. And I guess this podcast is part of that, but also, you know, cause I did theater for a while. I kind of got tired of that. I wanted to do something a little more dynamic and interesting. So I got into stand up. Um, and I was still, you know, I can't say I was great at it yet. There were a lot of skills that are specific to stand up that I was still kind of learning. Um, and now it's like, well, who knows if, if or when it's coming back. But I wasn't so far along that I think I'm really hurt. It's kind of, yeah. So if it does pick up again, if it takes a year, I can probably pick up where I left off. I'm not really going to lose anything. I wasn't touring. I wasn't, you know, doing road gigs. And I wasn't counting on that money. Those are the, the guys who were just kind of like working comics, doing road gigs to pay their rent, like they're probably going to be hurt the most because when comedy does come back, it's probably going to be headliners and theater acts, you know, bigger names are going to be doing the smaller venues. And then the middle guys are going to be kind of fucked. And then guys like me who were just getting started, I didn't have a comedy career to lose. So I can just kind of start again with, you know, a little, a couple of years of experience under my belt, but I hadn't really invested any, uh, any money or any amount of my livelihood into it yet. But you know, that's, that's the creative outlet I don't have now, but you know, I could just focus more on this podcast, which probably is a good idea. I probably should have started this earlier, but what are you going to do? Um, yeah. 
So we'll see. I think I'm going to, uh, so I think I'll write some things specifically for the podcast. And then uh, if and when live shows open up again, I can just, I can just transition those into more stage friendly bits. Or not, maybe comedy never comes back. And then I'm just fully a voice on the internet. And no one ever sees my face. Mm. Yeah. Transitions. Transitions. It's interesting when, uh, like, different. We make plans, you know. And I've never really been, I've never been a. I love it when I was ever whenever I was on a date and some girl asked me, So what's where do you see yourself in five years? What's your five year plan? I just look at him like, Who the fuck are you? Why would I make a plan that has no chance of panning out? Like what do you what do you think the world just just bends itself to your plans? No, it's you know and it's not that I don't make plans. I kinda set up a year at a time. It's like, okay, I want to accomplish this in this year. And then I always leave room for changes or if opportunities come up, I can shift in to take advantage of a specific opportunity. So it's definitely not a lockdown plan. It's kind of a loose, a loose guide. Um, whether it's, you know, whether I'm, I'm taking specific classes or I'm writing something specific or if I was auditioning for something, um, but it was always subject to change at a drop of a hat if I needed to. And I find that, yeah, so I find when something like this rolls around, you know, there's a pandemic, I'm not too upset about it. I can shift easily. So even if comedy never comes back, the three years I spent trying to do it, I didn't feel that was wasted time. And also, you know, I did 10 years of theater, you know, classically trained, doing Shakespeare and shit. Um, And then when I finally decided, you know, I'm not going to be Hamlet, you know, they're not going to let me. Because theater is very full of type. Like, you know, you're a type. Um, And you're either the Hamlet type or you're a different type. And then... You know, I'm a type, I'm the unapproachable type. So I would get those roles and they're fine. They're great. But eventually I go, I have more to offer than these types of roles. And I felt like I, it really wasn't being challenged creatively anymore. And theater is a thing. Acting is a thing where you, you basically have to beg for permission to be in somebody's thing, or you can just create your own show, but then you're not really performing in it anymore unless you just do some absurd self-indulgent one man show nonsense, um, which are always awful. (laughs) They're always fucking awful, you know, but theater, you know, TV film, these are collaborative efforts. And if you're just an actor, you know, you get a lot of the glory of the success if it is successful. And then you also get a lot of the blame if it's not successful, but you don't get to do what you want to do. You do what the director wants you to do. Um, And eventually that just wasn't enough. So after some 
thought and pondering and, uh, you know, some half-assed auditions I really didn't want to be auditioning for in the first place. I was like, you know what? Let me try stand-up comedy because then I get to do whatever I want to do. And the only one person or people that tells me yes or no is the audience. It's either funny or it's not. I don't need... I mean, you still need people's permission. You need the producer's permission to for him to let you on stage. Um, and that can take a little while to get, but that's about it. You know, you need the producer of the show and you can always produce your own shows, which is what most unfunny comedians do is they just put on their own shitty shows and then have all their not funny friends also on the show. <laughs> and these are the people still doing online shows. <laughs> Well, it's only the not funny people doing the online shit. <laughs> like, it's ridiculous. Um, I don't know how to. Oh yeah. So, anyway, so when I got into doing stand up, I didn't feel like any of that time I spent doing theater was wasted because I learned a lot of stage skills. I learned how to write. I learned how to perform. Um, and most, if not all of those skills carry over into stand-up comedy. And then stand-up comedy has its own specific skills to it that I took a while to even be aware of before I could try to start learning those. Uh, like, you know, there's no fourth wall in stand-up. Most, unless you're doing some weird experimental theater shit, like there is a fourth, you kind of pretend the audience is not there. I mean, you know they're there. And you kind of play to the audience, but you're also kind of pretending they're not there. Um, stand-up doesn't have that. So definitely my first year doing stand-up, like, I could write a joke, I could tell a joke, I could get some laughs, but I didn't really start killing until I found a way to get rid of that fourth wall and be more present and engage the audience more. Which, as like a regular theater actor, you don't do that. It's not a thing, you know, they're kind of watching live TV. Um, yeah, so little things like that. But definitely all those stage skills were, you know, they come in handy. Um, and actually, I kind of, even if they're not funny, I kind of have a lot of respect for like a young kid trying stand-up for the first time. And they don't have any... You know, they don't know how to write a joke. They don't know how to tell a joke. They don't, they don't know how to not be fidgety with their hands or the mic cord. You know, they just have all this anxiety. You know, you just see them being anxious on stage. Um, and people will tell them that like, oh no, that's fine. You know, it's like people like that. No, it's like no professional comedian, no like headliner, big professional comedian has that nervous energy on stage. But people will be told that like, no, you're the nervous guy. That's fine. It's not fine. It's not fine to be the nervous guy. Even even a professional, really great comedian who is the quote unquote nervous guy, they're not really nervous. It's like they're still cool and confident as well as being nervous. They're not like fidgety. Um... Where was I going with that? 
anyway, it doesn't matter. So I didn't feel any of that time was wasted. So now whatever uh, happens next creatively, you know, all these skills come together. I had actually, before I started comedy, I, well, I had an MFA in creative writing, which was kind of a waste of time, but that's, that's a whole other story. That might be a whole podcast in and of itself. Um, and then what I did, I did take a great, an online writing class, uh, TV film writing class that was recommended to me by a client of mine because I had kind of soured on the whole idea of a, a writing workshop because the ones I'd been in before were just complete masturbatory wastes of time. <laughs> like, I don't need people who are supposedly my peers to critique my writing when they don't know what the fuck they're doing. You know, I needed more of a mentor. I needed someone who actually knew how to write and could spot where my weaknesses were and point them out to me, which like a a writing pure group, I don't think is that usually unless you're lucky. And But even then, it's going to be one of those peers who really knows what they're doing is basically takes on the role as the professor <laughs> and fixes everybody else's shit. Um, but I did take a really great TV film writing course with a great teacher, told me right away exactly what was wrong with my writing and why and how to fix it. Um, and even that was not, and by the end of this TV film writing course, I realized like me trying to write a TV or film script is pointless because I live in DC. It doesn't matter how good it is. Like half of it, it is a lot of who, you know, or who you have access to. So one, you have to have an amazing script Two, you have to know how to get the right people to read your amazing script. And then I just didn't, I didn't have 50, I maybe had one half. Maybe I have the ability to write an an amazing script. I'm definitely better now than I've ever been, but I don't have the other half. But then when I started stand up, I didn't consider any of that time spent learning how to write, how to really write time wasted because all that shit I learned applies to joke writing because I really learned like a joke is just a tiny story. It has the exact same element. So a story has a setup and or sorry, a joke has a setup and a punchline and really I'll hear that a lot. And, and I love hearing comedians try to explain comedy because you realize like they don't know what they're talking about. They may be great comedians, but they're not great teachers. So they'll talk about this comedic technique. And this happened when I was in my MFA too. There was a lot of talk about the technical aspects of writing and no one actually tells you what these techniques are. Except for that one great course I took where the guy actually did. He broke them down like broke down the minutia generally going through my MFA, which I paid way too much money for. And I'm still paying for it. It'd be, you know, you might have a three X structure and you go, okay, what is that? And they can't really explain to you what a three, you know, there's a beginning, middle end. Yeah. What does that mean? It's just too general and vague when you really need like a page by page, a line by line instruction. Like you can't, you know, you can't have any like wasted, you can't have any fat on it. You can't have any just like air. 
Um, and a joke is definitely that. Like, but it's the same element. So a joke is really a setup, an escalation, and then a payoff. And that's how a story is is structured. So you'll set up. And then what was great about this one writing coach I had is he would explain what is a setup? Because that's not enough to say, well, you need a setup and an escalation and a payoff. You're like, well, what, what is a setup? What constitutes a setup? What are, what are all the individual things that need to be in the setup? What are the essential elements to have a successful setup? Because if I don't have a successful setup, I can't have a successful escalation. Um, and then what is an escalation? What does that mean? How do I escalate? I don't even really escalate from what to what. And then the payoff is really just has to be a satisfying ending. And that has its own rules. And if joke is the exact same thing, just shorter and smaller. So it's even harder because it's hard. You have to do as much with less, which is pretty hard. Um, but that's what I've mostly heard about joke writing is it's a setup and a punchline. But that's not quite true because there's a setup and then there's an inherent or implied escalation. And then there's the payoff. And if I hadn't learned that in story writing, I wouldn't have gotten to that for joke writing. So now that comedy is dead, <laughs> at least stand-up comedy is dead. Um, I'm pretty comfortable. I still have a lot of skills to figure out whatever is next. I'll at least be able to continue to not make any money in my creative endeavors, but still have a sense that I'm moving forward somehow. 